Let's get into the Word of God tonight. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. And we pray, Lord, that you'd open up your word to us and teach us. And Lord, uh, we also want to ask now for Ginny Sumersano. I just received word that uh, she's going to be with you soon. And so, Lord, we pray that her family would be able to arrive in time to say their goodbyes. And we thank you so much for her wonderful legacy and testimony of faith that she's not only left for her children, but even here in this, this fellowship. And uh, Lord, I know she's been battling a long time, so we... We thank you, Lord, that she has put her hope and her trust in you and is ready to be with you. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to that day when we'll see her again and all of us will, will uh, be new, uh, new bodies and have that incorruptible flesh. So we ask for you to be with her, comfort the family as they go through this uh, trialsome time and saying goodbye to their mother. And uh, we ask, Lord, now that you'd open up your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't know Ginny Sumersano, uh, dear woman, uh, in fact, actually today when we had the choir, I was thinking about her because uh, the last time we had a choir, I, I believe she was actually in it and, you know, she was really frail then and just really loved the Lord. So you can pray for the Sumersano family. All right. We're in 1 Kings 22 and uh, as you open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 22, they, we've got these spotlights fixed. It's amazing. It's like you can't see anything now. Uh, so, but I can see my Bible, so that really helps. Uh, 1 Kings 22, Manny last week did 1 Kings 21 and I'm so thankful, Manny, that was a wonderful uh, message you gave last week. But uh, 1 Kings 21 ends with Ahab repenting. And God relenting from Ahab's destruction. Uh, if you remember last week, Ahab uh, and Jezebel figured out a way to do away with Naboth and steal his vineyard. And as a result of that, God was bringing judgment upon Ahab and Ahab uh, repented. Now, I want to say this about Ahab. If there's any guy in the Bible that doesn't deserve mercy, it's this guy. Uh, everything we've seen about Ahab is he's terrible. He's an evil man. He does evil. Maybe his wife is more wicked than he. Doesn't really matter though. Wicked is wicked. Uh, kind of like uh, Forrest Gump would say, stupid is as stupid does. Well, wicked is as wicked does, right? You know. And uh, Ahab is really wicked. And the fact that God relents from sending, uh, from destroying him right away, you're th- thinking kind of like, well, wait a minute, God, why would you do that? This guy needs to die. But I want to say this about the grace of God and the mercy of God. It's God's to give. And thank God that he is such a merciful, loving God. Because certainly there are times when we judge by our standards. And isn't it good that God doesn't use the same standard against us that we use against others? Uh, and so... Uh, so it's, uh, the way chapter 21 ended was with God relenting, and that's where we pick up in chapter 22. Now, we're not going to totally finish 1 Kings tonight, because I want to take a little bit of time for Jehoshaphat. But uh, 1 Kings 22, verse 1, now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. In uh, first, Second Chronicles 18, 1 through 2, and I forgot to give my text to the computer back there. So Second Chronicles 18, 1 through 2.
we kind of get a little more insight into Jehoshaphat and why he went down to Israel. Now remember, because of the elevation. So anytime, even though they're going traveling north, they're going down, okay? Well, in Second Chronicles 18, 1 through 2, we read, uh, Jehoshaphat had riches and made, oh, there we go. Thank you, guys. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Verse 2. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. Now, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 18 is basically the companion story to here in 1 Kings 22. Most of it's uh, very, very much the same. But here in, in the very beginning of Chronicles 18, Second Chronicles 18, we find out that Jehoshaphat actually had married off uh, uh, one of his daughters and, and with King Ahab, and that's how we find out there's this union between the two of them. And Jehoshaphat has gone uh, down to Israel uh, to be with King Ahab, and notice what King Ahab does, though. He killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him. He makes a great feast, a great dinner, has a great time with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and then he brings up an issue. See, if you remember when Syria had attacked, they were supposed to give back Ramoth Gilead when they were defeated, but they didn't. So Jehoshaphat brings up this idea of helping, uh, uh, sorry, Ahab brings up this idea of helping, having Jehoshaphat helping him retake Ramoth Gilead. So going back to 1 Kings 22, verse 3, we read, And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Now, as Jehoshaphat responds to Ahab, I don't know if it had anything to do with uh, this great feast and having a great time and people getting together and enjoying themselves and saying, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's go, let's go take back Ramoth Gilead. Not sure the decision-making process here with Jehoshaphat. And we're going to see that there's more decisions made later on that you question the judgment of Jehoshaphat. And who knows, maybe it's just a, an act of faith. But we do see that Jehoshaphat asks a great question. Hey, have we asked God whether we should do this or not? Has anyone consulted God here? Let's consult God. Let's ask God. And that's a wonderful thing to do before we act. And uh, I think sometimes we take the position of, uh, yeah, we've got to consult God for the big things, but not the little things. And I want to encourage you all to consult God in all things. Uh, in all things, be prayerful presenting your request to God with thanksgiving. Uh, we want to do that. We want to always bring everything before God. And I'll tell you, even the little things, uh, if we bring them before God, one, we have a chance to allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us. And, and uh, we have the Holy Spirit allow, uh, get, we wait on God to bless us. And uh, I've, I've testified over and over in times when 
I've just asked God, Lord, you know how to do this better than I do. I'm trying to figure it out. Help me figure this out. And then all of a sudden, you just it all comes together. And you're like, wow, that was totally from the Lord how this all came together. So, uh, so Jehoshaphat says, let's let's uh, inquire of the word of the Lord today. So, how do you get the word of the Lord? Well, you ask the prophet. So, verse six. Then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Now, do you see that? There's 400 prophets who come, I mean, that's a lot of prophets who come and say, yeah, you should do this. But Jehoshaphat goes, isn't there any others? Well, are we looking for confirmation here? You know, 400 is a lot. But there's something about these 400 prophets that Jeho- Jehoshaphat is questioning, possibly their credibility, or that they're really speaking the truth. I, I don't know what that is, but he says, isn't there any other? And... Uh, <laughs> And I, so then, then we get into this next verse and it says, so, uh, so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, verse eight, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. <laughs> this is really childish, you know? Uh, this is one of those things that, yeah, there's still another guy, but I hate that guy because he never says anything good to me. He never tells me what I want to hear. So the, and Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Verse nine, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, sorry, Chanana, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall go gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead. Prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. Now, Zedekiah gets up. Well, actually, Zedekiah is really smart. He brings props. Everybody loves props. He makes these horns, and he guts up there, and he puts on his show, and he, he says, just like this, you guys are going to defeat those, those uh, and take back Ramoth Gilead. You're going to gore them, he says, these Syrians, and they're going to be totally destroyed. And I'll tell you right now, Zedekiah has got his showmanship award. He's getting everybody excited. All the prophets are excited. Yeah, we're all prophesying for this. And uh, he puts on a really, really good show with his props. Well, now we get to verse 13. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophet with one accord encouraged the king Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Just say what the other prophets are saying. And Micaiah said, (laughs) verse 14, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, 
Whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Verse 15, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And Micaiah answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Verse 16, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Ahab realizes that Micaiah, you know, we don't know if it's just the sarcasm he speaks with or whatever it is, but Ahab knows that Micaiah is not telling him the truth. Maybe it's because it's the first time ever that Micaiah has agreed with these false prophets, these 400 false prophets, uh, or I should say these 400 lying prophets. I think they're prophets of God, but they just don't tell the truth. Um, but uh, it's the first, it could be because it was the first time he agrees with them. It could be a sarcastic attitude. But when Micaiah gets up there, he tells a. to hear. And he always gives him a word from the Lord. So that's why he doesn't, he's never encouraged by Micaiah. But when he finally brings Micaiah and Micaiah just says, fine, go up, do whatever you want. You're going to do it anyway. Uh, He says, how many times have I told you to tell me the truth? And now he's upset that Micaiah doesn't tell him the truth. (laughs) Jeremiah 17, uh, Jeremiah 17 verses five through nine, if you want to turn there. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 9. Nice job. I was going slow and you actually beat me there because I was thinking you would have trouble, Bethany. 17, 5 through 9 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Next verse. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is... ...its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Hold on there for a minute before we get to verse nine. So these first few verses give us a curse and a blessing. We, we have a curse on those who choose to trust in man versus trust in the Lord. And what we see about the one who trusts in the man that is cursed is we see that he's not only departed from the Lord, but he's like this little shrub in the desert. And Jeremiah gives us this, this picture of this shrub that's in this parched wilderness, this parched desert. I, I just imagine this dry lake bed and this one little shrub growing on it. And we were out in um, the Mojave National Preserve last spring. We, when it was the girls' spring break, we decided we would do the 
off-road trip across the Mojave National Preserve. We took three days to drive off-road, 200 miles off-road, and, and it, was, it was an event, I'll tell you that much. We were dirty at the end of it, uh, but it was fun. We had a good time, did a lot of off-roading. But uh, towards the end, you go across this giant dry lake bed, and, and uh, you don't want to get off the lake bed because it, the, the sulfurous uh, terrain is so corrosive to your, in your frame, the body of your truck, or vehicle that it can just cause rust and all those sorts of things. Uh, so other than letting my 14-year-old take her turn at driving on that dry lake bed, uh, which she did a really good job. She's way better driver than my oldest daughter. <laughs> Lucy's not a great di- driver. We put Lucy in the driver's seat for a moment, and she's like looking at everybody while she's done. Like, no, look that way. <laughs> oh, it was a good time. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so... This dry lake bed just looked uninhabitable. And actually, as we drove by it, you're just like, oh, I just can't wait to get out of here and into some good terrain. And that's kind of what I imagine this, just an area that's just not possible for for anything to just thrive or, or grow. And that's the cursed man. In a salt land which is not inhabited, he tries to grow because he's putting his trust in the, in the men and man and departing from the Lord. But then Jeremiah gives us this picture of a blessed man. And the blessed man who trusts, trusts in the Lord he, he, and puts his hope in the Lord, it says he's planted by, he's like a tree planted by waters. And immediately we go to Psalm 1 and think about that beautiful psalm about the one who trusts in the Lord. And, and this tree spreads out its roots by the river and it doesn't fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and it will not be anxious in the year of drought. Have you ever seen a tree that was anxious? Have you ever seen what that looks like? Oh, it's a terrible sight when trees start to worry. I mean, really, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. You can't tell when a tree is worried, but it's interesting how as, as Jeremiah gives this picture, he gives us the human emotion that when we see trouble on the horizon... When we see difficulties on the horizon, what do we do? What's the, one of the first things that starts to happen? We grow anxious, right? I mean, it's, it's an, I, I know the Lord told us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer. Uh, we, we, we were told that, uh, that we're, we're not to, to worry, but trust the Lord. I understand that, but we struggle with that. We, we have to remind ourselves to put our faith in God when those times of trouble are on the horizon and we're looking ahead going, oh, 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 oh Lord, how can you help me through this moment, right? But, but that's the difference between the blessed man. When they see this trouble on the horizon, when they see the drought, when they see the problems coming, they're not anxious about it because they put their trust in the Lord. They give it over to the Lord. And, and, and we see that they will never cease from yielding fruit. That's an awesome promise that... that that one who trusts in the Lord and doesn't depart from the Lord, the one who trusts in the Lord and doesn't trust in man, they never cease, even through those trials sometimes, to bear fruit. That's a wonderful promise. Well, given these two, two, peop, uh, these two examples that Jeremiah puts before us, verse 9 is really interesting. Because verse 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Now, the reason why it's so interesting that verse 9 follows right after these two men is because the fact is, is 
why would anyone choose to depart from God and follow man and be that dried up shrub trying to thrive in an uninhabitable environment? Well, it's because the heart is wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked. And even when the heart, when we know the truth, we choose to chase after the lie at times. It's a terrible commentary on the sinful nature of man. I mean, it's, it's, it's so terrible. And I mean, how many times have you seen someone make a dumb decision? You're like, who could be that dumb, right? Well, this guy, right? Just, just point the thumb at yourself. What has two thumbs and does, makes bad decisions, right? It's like, you know. Uh, see, our hearts are deceitful. And, and just like Ahab here, who's saying, I, I want to go take uh, Ramoth Gilead. And I don't want to hear from Micaiah because Micaiah never encourages me. He only says bad things to me. I don't like that guy because he speaks the truth all the time. He doesn't say what he wants to say. But, and then when Zedekiah gets up with his built-up horns and he makes this big show about why we should go take Ramoth Gilead and, and you know Ahab's there going, oh, I love that guy. I love that guy. And then when Micaiah comes and says, yeah, you should go do it. He's like, why, why won't you tell me the truth? Because he knows that he doesn't want to hear what Micaiah has to say, but they brought Micaiah in. He, he knows he's, he's not going to believe Micaiah. And he just believes that deceitfully wicked heart of his. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 5, we read from Paul with instruction to Timothy. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, verse 4, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Interesting that Paul gives Timothy this instruction that there is a time coming where there will not only be apostasy, but there'll be actually people calling themselves to be these Christians or, or calling themselves a part of the flock of God, but they won't endure sound doctrine. They don't want to have anything to do with it because it's too convicting maybe. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't tell them what they want to hear. It doesn't agree with uh, all the desires of their flesh or what they're chasing after. Uh, who knows what it is that they're looking for. But, but they have these itching ears that is looking for someone to tell them what they want to hear. And, uh, and they'll turn away from anyone speaking the truth. You know, uh, we, we see this all the time today, just in our culture. Uh, we see it with the news when you hear these fake news stories. And you're like, what? How could they twist and turn those things so badly? You know, you, you just don't understand it. But to some degree, we go, well, they're unbelievers. Uh, and so we go, yeah, you know, they're, gonna, they're just going to harden their hearts to the truth. They're not going to desire the truth. But Paul is warning Timothy that these, these are going to happen even within the people who call themselves the church of God. And he warns them. He warns, warns Timothy. But he not only says, hey, this is coming, but he gives Timothy what to do. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. 
do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I think about that now. I know not all of you are called to be pastors, but certainly God has put before you a ministry. And God has all given us a great commission. And no matter how wicked the world gets, or no matter how much people won't put up with truth, you endure affliction. You be watchful in all things. You do the work of an evangelist. You fulfill your ministry. Be faithful with what God's called you to do. You trust in the Lord. Don't depart from him. And even in that drought coming, you're going to bear much fruit. So don't be like Ahab who looks for what he wants to hear. Uh, Be the man like that tree that is planted right by the water and bears its fruits in season. All right, going back to 1 Kings 22. So uh, (laughs) Ahab's pretty upset with Micaiah for his word. So verse 16, it says, so the king said to him, oh, sorry, verse uh, 17. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered. This is Micaiah's uh, prophecy, what he actually saw. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Now that vision is showing that there's no king there. And the king, of, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? So now he's complaining about the prophecy that Micaiah is actually given. Verse 19, then Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up? that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead. So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Verse 24, now Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? So I'm going to stop there for a moment. So Micaiah gives this vision from the Lord. And it's this picture that he opens up for the 400 lying prophets, and the king Jehoshaphat, and the king Ahab, the king of Israel, and the king of Judah. And it's such an interesting passage. Like I said, the Old Testament, Kings has some great things in it that you're like, wow. (laughs) But, But it's the Lord on his throne. Now, anytime we see, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, I always want to pause there just for a moment and say that throughout Israel's history, whenever a prophet sees God, he sees him on his throne. Even when kings die, all these things. And just one thing I want to encourage you with, no matter what goes down on our earth or what things you may deal with, with the culture, with your own households, with whatever trouble might come, the Lord is on the throne and nobody moves him off the throne. He's totally in control of the situation. And how wonderful it is for Micaiah to have seen 
the Lord on the throne. I can't help but wonder if that's one of the reasons why Micaiah could be so faithful, even though the king of Israel hates him, the 400 lying prophets hate him, everybody hates him because <laughs> he speaks the truth, but yet there he is speaking the truth because he sees the Lord on the throne. Well, he saw the Lord on the throne, all the hosts of heaven standing by his right and on his left. Now, it's hard to say. I, I think the lying spirit and those on his left, I, I wonder if those on his left is really a reference to the unfaithful or the fallen angels, and those on his right are a reference to the faithful and holy angels. Because certainly this time we know, and still to this day, we know that the angels present themselves before God. Uh, in Job, we read, we read in chapter, uh, chapter 2 of Job. Sorry, I want to make sure I get this right. Oh, my apologies there. Uh, chapter 1 of Job, verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And of course, in the opening chapter of Job, we have this really, this keyhole, uh, looking through a keyhole at heaven, we see that Satan actually presents himself before God, and God asks Satan uh, where he's been, what he's been doing, not that God doesn't know, but he asks him to re- uh, to, to give him an explanation, and that's where Satan brings up Job, and, and uh, we see that God gives Satan permission to uh, afflict Job. Not that Satan is tricking God or, or Satan has any authority over God. Actually, what we see is that God has total authority over, even over Satan and all the fallen angels, those demons, uh, but God uh, will use all these things for his good and perfect purposes. Well, then in Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we will see that during the great tribulation period, Satan and these, the demons will finally no longer be allowed up in heaven, the fallen angels. So Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and uh, it says this. Sorry, Bethany. <laughs> By the way, oh wait, are you putting it up? Oh, you're not. You're not even there. You're over there. Oh, who's in the who's in the, the hot seat tonight? Oh, Miji. Good job, Miji. Everybody, thank Miji. <laughs> so, talk about it. All right, Revelation chapter. I forgot to give her my my uh, references. Uh, so Revelation seven verse seven says of the tr- uh, wait no Revelation twelve verse ten. Sorry. Revelation, sorry, 12, verse 7. Here we go. I'm just going to start reading it. You can turn in your own Bibles. Revelation 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10 says, Then I heard in a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So there is a time coming during, yeah, yes, uh, in, in Revelation 
And during the great tribulation, we read that, that there is a point at which war breaks out in heaven and uh, Satan and his demons have been, are completely cast out of heaven, kicked out, never allowed back. Uh, we'll see them eventually judged. But uh, notice that it says, because of the victory of Christ, that, that uh, the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And that's what Satan, uh, Satan does. He accuses. He just, he just constantly accuses all the brethren. Uh, and, uh, and so finally we see that he's kicked out of heaven for good. So going back to 1 Kings, I think that, that this lying spirit is not as, uh, it's obviously we know that God does not lie. And we, we also know that anyone, any angel who is holy cannot lie. So uh, this must be some demonic spirit, fallen angel, that, that uh, comes up with this, this idea. Now, I want to say this, that uh, Satan, this is a real wonderful picture to Satan and the fallen angels about what they really think about man. See, the Bible tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour its prey. That, that, that Satan's like a lion hunting. And, and lions are incredible animals, especially when you're up close with them. It's, it's, you get fear when you're up close with a lion uh, because you're just like, this animal is so powerful. It's just designed to, to be a predator. It's designed to kill. And so the picture of Satan just hunting, stalking, the believers is a, is a, is a very powerful image uh, of, of what Satan is to us, that he's an enemy. Well, we, we see that the enemy not, doesn't, isn't there to try to fight for his people, those who are, who, who are sinning and it's going to be a great party in hell. No, Satan here is just trying to destroy. This lion spirit is just trying to destroy all that they can. That's their whole goal, to destroy. And so they come up with this plan when the Lord asks, who will persuade Ahab to go that he might fall at Ramoth Gilead? Satan is by no means on the side of Ahab, even though Ahab is worshiping the Baals, even though Ahab is wicked and evil. He he is not uh, uh, loved, cared for, or even considered by Satan. And these lying spirits. So, so they convince, uh, they, they come up with this plan. And of course, all these things work together uh, in the Lord's sovereignty. All that the, the Lord has already said would happen. So he allows this lying spirit to go. And, uh, and we, we read that the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours that the Lord has declared disaster against you. And Zedekiah doesn't like it, so he strikes Micaiah. And it says, which way did the spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? Verse 25, and Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Uh, so the king of Israel said, take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread, the bread, of, affl- with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. You can just see this scene playing out. Micaiah speaks the truth. 
He gives the, this prophetic word from God. As a result of him giving the prophetic word, he's told to be taken back, put in prison, and, and only get, be given for food the bread of affliction and for water the water of affliction. Uh, so whatever that means, I'm assuming it, it, it's uh, uh, a terrible uh, beating that comes with that, just enough to keep him alive, um, let, him, let him eat in pain, everything. Uh, but Micaiah, as he is being brought out, he tells, says, if you ever return in peace, the Lord's not spoken through me. And he kind of yells out to all the people there, take heed, you people. This is the word of God. You know, being a prophet of God, a minister of God, or a servant of God certainly does not mean you avoid suffering at the hands of evil people. But again, if you see the Lord on his throne, inhabiting his son, inhabiting the heavens, how can you not but serve him, knowing that he is truly in control? It's pretty encouraging to think about that. Verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah went up to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. And once again, I really question the judgment of Jehoshaphat here. I, I appreciate that Jehoshaphat actually asked for a prophet of God. Let's seek the word of God, find out if we should go up to Ramoth Gilead. But then things like this happen, and I really question that the Jehoshaphat is really listening to the Lord. And maybe it's just he has total faith that he'll be fine and Ahab's done for. I don't know. But we see that the, more than that, the king of Israel says to Jehoshaphat, tell you what, I'm going to disguise myself. See, Jehoshaphat has told everybody, Micaiah is wrong. He never prophesies anything good on my, fa- uh, on my part. He never encourages me. He's the worst guy ever. Uh, but he also knows that Micaiah speaks the truth on behalf of God. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll thwart God's plans, right? I'll show God what's up. I'll take care of that. And I'll do what I want to do. So I'm going to disguise myself. But tell you what, Jehoshaphat, why don't you wear the kingly robes? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a terrible idea. I... <laughs> I don't know. I, I really question Jehoshaphat here. I mean, we're going to see some good things about Jehoshaphat next week, but, but the judgment here, like, I, I just don't know. Like, oh, so I should dress up like a king, but you not. Okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. Uh, so verse 31, uh, Ahab is disguised for battle, and Jehoshaphat's put on the king robes. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Listen, don't even bother fighting with anybody. Just get to the king of Israel and kill him. So it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So this is interesting. Um, Jehoshaphat now becomes the target. He cries out to the Lord, and we read in Chronicles that he cries out to the Lord. Uh, and you, you got to wonder, did they go, there's no way that's the king of Israel. He wouldn't be praying to God. You know, I don't know. But, but they, they just realize, like, that's not the king of Israel. Uh, let's turn away from them. 
So uh, jo- God protects Jehoshaphat during this, this battle, and the, the men all turn away from chasing Jehoshaphat. And verse 34, now a certain man, I really wish we had this man's name, drew a bow at random, hold on guys, at random, okay, I'm going to put the air quotes there, uh, and at random, and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor at random. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. Now, let me just talk about this random archer and the random shot that splits right through. Man, what a lucky shot, right? This, this, this little missile just went right through the perfect spot in the chink in his armor, went through the, the joints of the armor and struck Jehoshaphat, so he started bleeding out. Uh, the word random in Hebrew is uh, innocence. Innocent. And uh, the, the translators did a good job translating this word. And, it, and, and really, we get the idea that this man just like fired up an arrow. Uh, and so, as far as the man was concerned, it was totally a random shot. It was, you know, let, let loose an arrow. Uh, but this is what I love about the Lord. And this is. When we read Romans and we see that if the Lord is for us, who then can be against us? We have to uh, think, of, and of course, that's speaking about spiritual things and, and, and the victory we have in Christ, but certainly it also applies that if this is the Lord's will, he'll, he'll take care of us. And he can take a random arrow and randomly guide it into a random crevice in the armor. <laughs> and wow, wow, that's amazing. Just all these random events happening. God knows what he's doing, and God is always in control, even in the heat of a battle. And if God speaks a word against uh, someone, if he says your time is up, your time is up. And uh, if he chooses to let you live like Jehoshaphat, he'll turn away the armies from pursuing you. And uh, it's sad that Ahab, even though he had this incredible victory over the king of Syria two chapters ago, had forgotten that already. And so this arrow streaks, strikes the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And so he tells, it says, turn around, I'm wounded. Verse 35, the battle increased that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, every man to his city, and every man to his own country, just like Micaiah had prophesied from the Lord. Verse 37, so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried, buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Of course, that word it was in 1 Kings twenty-one nineteen. 19. Uh, And it says, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, uh, the place where the dogs, you'll die in the place where the dogs uh, licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick your own blood. And so this uh, Ahab meets his end. And just as God spoke, so the dogs were licking up his blood. In this place, you know what an interesting picture. 
Verse 39, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Last thing I want to say about Ahab. <laughs> this wicked man is remembered for his ivory house and all the, all the cities that he built. There, that's it. Well, have you guys gone over and seen that beautiful ivory house? Have you guys seen all those wonderful cities that he built lately? Oh, yeah. They're gone. All of his legacy. In fact, the only legacy Ahab's really left with is uh, who not to be, what not to do. He's an example of evil and wickedness in the scriptures. Ahab is a, an example of a rebellious person, an evil individual one who goes against God, and he meets his end, never trusting the word of the Lord. He just rejects God altogether. But hey, he built an ivory house in cities, right? I want to say this, dear Christians. Let us not live for ivory houses and building of cities. These temporal things, sometimes our eyes can get fixed upon and sometimes we can focus on the temporal always, uh, and, and forgetting about eternity. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. That's where we're to fix our eyes, on Jesus, as we live out our days through, on this earth. And we have an eternity, a promise of eternal life awaiting us. That's much better than anything temporal the world has to offer. So I want to close with encouraging you that. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll finish for tonight. We'll pick up with uh, the end of First Kings, I guess, next week. Yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you so much that you are a faithful God. Lord, you're merciful and you show us your mercy, you're gracious to us, affording to us righteousness which we do not deserve just because you love us. Lord, we thank you that you are firmly seated upon your throne and you are the king. We thank you, dear God, that you are sovereign over all the affairs of men. And Lord, what peace it gives to us knowing that when we trust in you, we will bear fruit even when the drought is upon us, Lord. You'll sustain us. We thank you, dear God, for your faithfulness. And we pray, Lord, for those in this room tonight that are seeing that drought or in the midst of the drought, that they might be encouraged that, Lord, you do not let your people wither away. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the thanks, and we, we hold every promise dear to our hearts and in our minds as we walk our, live out our days on, in this life. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just received a text from Saji. And uh, he was traveling to Kathmandu. Uh, they're going to be doing a, a Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, celebration there in Kathmandu uh, with pastors and all the children from the homes. And he said this, hi all, we arrived safely in Kathmandu. It's really cold here. Thanks for all your support and prayers. 
Thanks, Pastor Dave, for your wonderful message. Yes, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we have an eternity. God bless. Uh, Saji always surprises me <laughs> when he texts uh, He's watching the messages, but, uh, but in all, uh, he wants to thank you for the support. And uh, Lord willing, we'll get to share a little bit more about what's been going on in India and Siliguri and Kathmandu soon. But with that said, may the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he be gracious to you, and may he lift up his countenance upon you. Amen.